This episode is the last one during National Adoption Awareness Month. And I want to thank all of the adoptees who shared a part of their adoption story, along with words of wisdom, on this podcast. I appreciate this month of November being an opportunity for adoptees to flip the script on all platforms by sharing their journey and perspective about adoption. Thank you to all my Patreon supporters each month and the generous donations by others who find value in Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest and I met about 10 years ago, and I remember it like it was yesterday, because he was in reunion with his birth mom, Betty Lou. The genetic mirroring was fascinating to me because they look so much alike. His name is David Petruziello, affectionately called Dave by many, and one of the kindest people I know. In this episode, Dave will share a part of his adoption story, pre-reunion and beyond. He continues to be connected to the adoption community in an effort to give back the tremendous value members of the Constellation have given him. Allow me to introduce you to Dave, someone who I find to be sensitive to the needs of others. Through his smile that I can always see in my mind's eye, represents a most caring person. He's fun to be around and is that guy who once you meet him, you know he'll give you his undivided attention while sharing the wisdom he's picked up through the years. Hi, Dave. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Good. Thanks for uh, having me. Oh, I'm so glad you said yes because I just thought about when we first met and I believe it was in Orlando, Florida for an Mm -hmm. AAC conference and you were in reunion at that time with your birth mom. Yes, I think that was my first AAC conference and we were very newly uh, in reunion Mm -hmm. and yeah, and she came there with me and her, and, uh, uh, her sister came also yeah, and I remember the striking resemblance, like the genetic mirroring was like you looked just like her to me, and, and she looked just like her sister, of course. And I said, wow, this is nice, because at that time, I was not in reunion. I was brand new to the adoption community and just wanting to hear everybody's story, you know, wanting to be in the same room with adoptees and other members of the constellation. And I just remember meeting you and thinking, this is so cool. Like maybe one day I'll be able to experience that. So tell me, like wherever you want to start in your story, however much you want to share. Sure, sure. Just to point out like what you were saying, the resemblance part, that's such a big thing. Well, it was for me and, and I hear it a lot in 
uh, support groups that I'm you know, part of, the, the resemblance and finally meeting someone or, you know, family members that you look like. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's a it's big deal. Incredible feeling. Yeah, it's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. yeah, very big deal. I remember as a kid, I knew I was adopted and my friends looked just like their parents. And it, it, uh, it just, it kind of freaked me out because um, <laughs> they were like miniature versions of their parents or their siblings. And I didn't have, you know, I had no one in my life that I looked like. So I, I thought that was so strange, even though that was a lot more common than what I had. But I just thought it was so weird that you could look so much like another person. Yeah, that, that mirroring is big. It's come up in many conversations with adoptees who, like you were saying, their parents, they didn't look anything like them. And for me, I looked a lot like I could fit in to my adoptive family. Mm -hmm. But as an adoptee, you know, it's not because if you happen to look like somebody, it's not because you're biologically related. So I just remember wanting to see someone I was biologically related to and looked yeah. like them for that reason. Yeah. But the nurture part of it is also interesting because I think we develop certain traits of one of our parents. And then I've had people tell me that I look like them mm -hmm. and, and my adoptive parents. And that's just kind of weird. Like maybe I say, you know, the same things, you know, I'm very polite or just different ways of acting that maybe I take from, you know, take the lead from my parents or growing up right. um, around them. But, you know, looking like them, that's a completely different thing. But people have actually said, oh, you look like your mom. I just find that so odd, you know, because we're not blood related. Right, right. So you've always known you were adopted and or you don't remember when you were told, we'll say, right? Yeah, I, do, I don't remember. I know I was very young. My parents, uh, my adopted parents have told me that they started telling me as soon as I could understand. And the same with my sister, who's also adopted and two years older than me. Okay. So we always knew, but... At that time, in the late 60s, early 70s, I don't think um, it's just, or at least my, my, my adoptive parents, we didn't talk a lot about it. I, I don't know if I, I wasn't afraid to talk about it. it. It just wasn't something I was comfortable talking about. So even though I always knew and that there, there wasn't an issue with that, there wasn't like a, a healthy conversation about you know, how, how I felt about that. Did I have any questions? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same here. It was just not discussed. <laughs> and and right. yeah, from the 60s, I think it was that kind of that era, that time where it, it's known because I don't remember not knowing. Uh, but I would think about my family of origin from time to time. Would, did you find yourself doing that? Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> I, um, well, I, w I remember I grew up in New Jersey and there, there are lots of malls and we would go to the mall like on the weekends. And I just remember walking through the mall and looking at, at the faces of the, you know, of the mothers and thinking, 
is that my biological mother? Is that my biological mm. mother? Trying to find a resemblance, you know, of myself in her. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, like that was possible, you know, like that's a one in a billion chance that that, that would happen. But I, I still would do that. I would look at, at everyone to see if I could find someone that looked like me. Mm-hmm. I hear that a lot. So at some point, I guess it's once you become an adult, you decide that you're going to search. Did you search? I did. I did. But it it was delayed. And so I didn't even realize this. But in college, I definitely had some anger about it. I didn't remember this at all. But in my freshman year, I had an English class and I wrote a paper about it. Uh, which I didn't even remember until, I don't know, five or, or so years ago. My parents had a copy of the paper and they showed it to me. So I had some, I definitely had some anger and resentment or, I don't know, hurt, whatever you want to call it, that I, I didn't even realize. And I didn't start searching, though, until years later. So I, I guess I kind of suppressed that. In different relationships that I was in, People would tell me that they they like they were happy that I searched when I searched because <laughs> they would say that you I could tell that you wanted to mm-hmm. you know and I don't even remember those conversations either to be honest with you but so I was forty four or so and actually my adoptive parents or my dad he he gave me that uh, the last final like little nudge to search and that was all I needed and then like it just took off from there do you but remember I really what he said him for that oh, I'm um s- yeah no 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 it's, I don't remember exactly what he said but he would like cut clippings out of the paper if there was ever like a dear Abby type of thing in the in the paper um like, like references to adoption yeah, and I yeah. think they, they, you know, they were already starting to talk about the the bill in New Jersey where I was born and grew up. So he would cut out these articles and he would talk to me and, oh, and so I was adopted through Catholic Charities. So 20 plus years ago, my parents uh, sent away for me and my sister uh, for the non-identifying information because it had birth dates, it had only first names, but it had birth dates and first names and I forget what else, but it was, a, it was a bit identifying. So anyway, they had sent away for that and then they knew that the next step would be to request full information, which is what I did. So I forget what the, what the exact nudge was, but it was just a support from my dad saying, yeah, I think you should do it. Mm. If you want to do it, you know, do it. That's nice. So that was all I needed. Yeah, Yeah, that was all I needed. And then the search began and, you know, I had to pay, you know, pay for that search, which, you know, I have really mixed feelings about. I mean, I, I, I feel fortunate that I was able to pay for it, but it was, you know, it was several hundred dollars. And, um, yeah, it was almost a thousand dollars, and I and I kind of have a some some feelings about I that. I do too. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm really glad that I was fortunate enough to have that money that I could do that. But others, people that don't, 
I don't think that's fair to, you know, withhold that information or not provide that information if, if it's available. And someone recently mentioned it's like being traumatized again. And I said, it's true. Mm-hmm. That's just what it feels like, you know, for people to be right. holding information about you. It's not even important to them. And it's about you, you know. Like you say, a lot of people can't even afford to pay. Right. I mean, I don't. I don't know exactly how it all worked, but I'm sure there was some. Uh, I would think there was some type of expense for for the birth mother, and then obviously the adoptive parents, you know, paid, mm-hmm. and then we paid for the non-identifying information, and then I had to pay for the identifying information. So. They they gave you a little bit of a discount because <laughs> you had you know I had requested the non-identifying like years ago, mm-hmm. but still I think it was like nine it would have been like nine hundred dollars wow. had I requested full information uh, or had I not had the non-identifying and so the non-identifying was worth one hundred and fifty but since we had done it twenty years ago I think. We only paid, or my father only paid fifty. But anyway, like you know, we got that, and or I mean, I requested that, and then there aren't a lot of people that are like working there, and I, I don't know how many requests there are, but I was put into like a queue, and about six months later, they you know got to me and they started searching. And it didn't take very long for them to find my birth mother. And she definitely wanted to be contacted and to have a relationship. I mean, I could talk forever about that. Um, but what, you know, had she done do any want to direct the conversation? Yeah. Had, had she done any searching? Well, yeah, good question. Um, so she had told me that she had a few times and was always told that there was no request on my end. Right. So that, that yeah, she uh, was that true to that. Yeah. That, um, well, no. So if you, if you consider the non-identifying information, a request, you know, I don't, I don't know what they consider a request. I mean, right. I didn't, you know, I didn't ask, um, if she had, looked for me or asked about me, but I did request non-identifying information. Because you know what comes up a lot is that the adoptee or the birth parent has, like you did, requests certain things, and then the agency, like, acts like that didn't happen. And and Uh so, yeah, they're telling the other party, no, nobody's made any contact or nobody, but it's not true. Right. Yeah. I don't even, like... You know, just talking through it now with you, I don't even know if they were intentionally being dishonest. I just don't think they had like good enough record keeping, okay. you know, devices. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think it was anything that was there was a file or you know something put together where they could easily access. Oh, you know, son or daughter, uh, there was contact on this date. I think it was like all manual and like paper records and maybe someone made a notation. So anyway, though, she did say that she had requested contact and 
my sister, her, which was her second child, she had actually like made a, a big push to, to find me, but it, it just didn't go anywhere. Okay. So, and she, you know, she always said she didn't feel like she had the right. Yeah. That know, comes that, up a which lot. Which you hear a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She, she, yeah. she sure seemed so excited to be in reunion when I met mm-hmm. both of you. Yeah. 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 It was a great reunion. And, I mean, obviously we're very similar or I'm very similar to her. Mm-hmm. I, I share a lot of her, you know, attributes and uh, not just physical. And so when we met, we just dumped everything on each other. We were just completely <laughs> honest with each other and like, told each other our histories like the good the bad and the ugly no nothing held back ask anything you want i'll I'll tell you whatever what were some of your first questions to her do you remember like did you want to know who your birth father was yeah oh definitely definitely (laughs) just the circumstances Mm -hmm. i had the non-identifying information so i wanted to I guess verify that and and for the for the most part that was accurate there were some inconsistencies or I mean you could even call them lies but yeah like we we just went over the circumstances of you know when I was conceived and the family dynamics at the time why I wasn't kept and then I did want to know about my father and she actually did that whole search for me. Like she, I don't know why, I guess at the time I didn't have the, I don't know, I I, I was going to say courage, but I don't know if it's really courage. But since she was willing to do it, she, she searched and located his brother. Well, so let me just step back. She knew that he had died. He died very young at 27. So she knew that and so she told me that and then and you know it was a very you know dark kind of a story so she she located his brother and then we went she set up uh she called him and talked to him he said he had never even told his wife about me about his nephew or you know his brother that his brother had a son, mm-hmm. uh, you know, prior to, he had a daughter also, you know, he married a woman and, and had a girl. My uncle didn't even tell his wife about me, which was kind of hurtful. Mm-hmm. But so anyway, we, we went to, um, we went to his house for dinner. He invited us over or maybe we went to, we might've met him twice. We might've gone. Yeah. We, we went out to dinner. It, it, it's only about 10 years ago or less. And, but it seems like a lifetime ago. Mm-hmm. So we, we met him at a restaurant for dinner and his wife, and it was me and my birth mother and her sister. Not, I don't think it was the one you met. It was another sister. She has many sisters. <laughs> <laughs> like soon after that, we went to their house and then I met, my cousins because he my uncle has two kids so I met them and their spouses I can't remember if they had any kids at that time but yeah so I met them and and then I you know eventually met he, he my birth father also had two sisters 
So I met them also. Oh, you met, met a lot of people. First. Yeah. Was yeah. he really close yeah. to his brother? The uncle you met? Was he close to your birth father? He was. He mm-hmm. was. But the, so there was just this really dark story around his death. And it, and it was, it was a, I don't know. It was um, like they, I don't know. They didn't talk about him again. Mm. Like, so he was killed when he was 27. He was found in his car, like in a cemetery. I mean, it's just, it's like a, like a bad movie, kind of like a gangster movie or something. But he was basically found with a bullet through his head Mm. in his car in a cemetery. It was ruled a suicide, but, you know, I also met his widow and all of his family and and no one believes that that was the case he was you know involved in some criminal or like drug activity so you know i i i'll never get that story straight but it, I, it was just such a shock to the family that i don't think they talked much about it again and there were some hard feelings in the family and that's part of the reason why my uncle never told his own wife, mm. which you know I just thought was so strange. Like I never ended up develop, developing a relationship with that part of the family. Like right. there were those two visits and that was it after that. And that mm-hmm. was in the very beginning. But the two sisters or, or you know, my two aunts, um, one of them I'm actually pretty close with and we haven't seen each other in a while, but. You know, we talk on the phone. We will definitely see each other again. That's you good. know, there's a bond there. Yeah, that's but good. um, and and she's opened up about him, and because I look so much like him. I was going to ask and, you, had you been able to see pictures and? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a picture in my apartment of his high school. It's a black and white high school graduation photo, and like it, it's uncanny. Like, if you think I look like Betty Lou, because you've seen her. <laughs> right. I mean, I look, I have her eyes, but, like, I have all of his other features. Wow. I, I really look like him. And actually, Betty Lou, the very first time that I met her, she said, you know, you look just like Joe, oh, which was wow. my birth father's name. Yeah. Because it, it was in the fall. It was either late October or early November. I think it was late October. And I was wearing a black leather jacket. Yeah, she said, you look just like him. Mm. And then, you know, once I saw photos of him, I do. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. So. Wow. So I know that um, New Jersey changed their adoption law after Illinois. So I'm guessing Illinois was like 2010. When did New Jersey change their adoption law? I believe it was 2017. Mm-hmm. Did you get a copy then, of your original birth certificate at that time or before? I did. I, I think the law may have passed, and I, you know, I, I don't know the exact dates. I'm so bad with dates. But it may have passed in 2017, but then you had to wait until January 1st of 2019. Right. That sounds to, about right. To start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those are the dates. But yes, I did send away and and I had some good friends that were like instrumental in fighting to get that bill passed for 
literally, you know, over three decades, I almost know, four decades. I know, years yeah, and years. Like Pam Hasegawa and Judy Foster and Tom McGee and Joe Pasolano, all of these people that like they Peter work Pete so Franklin. Hard. Yeah, yeah, Peter Franklin. They really yeah, did. Yeah. yeah. So and Zara Phillips, who's a very good friend of mine. Yeah. So I did get it. And of course I immediately called my birth mother. She was not happy with some of the, you know, some of the um, information was incorrect mm. and it really bothered her. Like I was surprised like because what? I mean, for yeah. me, well, so it said that, what was it? It was, it said where she lived which was not where she lived. So oh. like, so the birth certificate, I mean, the non-identifying information said that she went to, uh, I don't know if it said a maternity home, but it did, I, I think it did say a maternity home, which she never did. She stayed in her family's home. Is that right? Um, so it had on there that she was at a maternity home when she never was at that maternity home. Right. Wow. And and then so what the birth certificate said was like when it said the county that she lived in, it had the county that the that Catholic charities, the adoption home, like where she relinquished and where my adopted parents picked, you know, me up from, it had that county. Wow. Not the county that she actually lived in. in. Wow. Yeah, is, so I think that that's the really first time I've ever her. I've ever heard that. First time. Yeah. Yeah, that really bothered her. I put it on social media and I was like, what does this mean? It basically, you know, for the father, it it was like out of wedlock. Oh, maybe it was OW. Mhm. And it was out of wedlock. Because I was thinking it was like other than white or, you know, and I'm, I'm Caucasian. And, and I was like, why does it say that my father is other than white? Or I forget what, what, what the initials were. Right. But, um, but they, people laughed at me on social media and they said, no, 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 no. That means out of wedlock. Yeah, I wouldn't have known <laughs> what that means either. I've never seen that. <laughs> yeah. So it didn't have his name at all. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, and then, of course, the non-identifying information, it did it did have his first name and the family information was right. Oh, and, it, you know, it had his birth date. But it, it at the end, when it gave a little description of the whole, you know, uh, whatever, adopt, birth and adoption history, it said the putative father mm. as if. You know, as if there was some question that he was right. the father. Wow. Yeah. So you have this document now. And I know for a lot of us, just the fact that we could re request it was a big deal. Like, you know, to have an amended for, in my case, four decades and, and you too. Mm -hmm. It's so important to finally have the, the original document you know, that yeah. what really took place, so to speak, as much as possible from our beginnings. And so you show it to Betty Lou and yeah, I could see, I could see why she would be 
unsettled. <laughs> yeah, I could. I could. Because I know my original yeah. birth certificate, it had for mother, birth mother's address, it had the home that she was at. But I thought, mm-hmm. well, that's not our home. I just remember thinking that. That's where she gave birth. That's like the hospital, so to speak. But it's not her address, you know. So there mm-hmm. were things that I think that they did back when with these documents that sometimes was, well, quite often was not accurate. But we finally have something that's closer that to to the truth than the amended. And um, right. yeah, and so now we can go, I guess, a little further on in our journeys. And and you would remain connected to the adoption community. I mean, I still see you on Facebook, and and I think I mm-hmm. saw you at maybe two more conferences over the years. What do you think's been the most rewarding thing for you to stay connected? Like. I actually, I, I, I guess I use this as an example. So last night I met with a bunch of people from the adoption community, Zara, you know, being one of them. And um, there were six of us and we just went out to dinner and we hadn't seen each other in a while. And it's just, it's, it's really hard to explain, but just being able to speak with these people intelligently, like empathetically, about what you're going through and having them understand and get it. It's, it's really hard to have these conversations with people that like aren't adopted or, or aren't a birth parent or, or, or understand adoption. There's a right. certain understanding that yeah. there's a certain language we speak and it could seem, you know, dramatic or I don't know, just, like other people just don't understand it when I talk to them. So for me, it's just, it's also about giving back. Like mm. I co-facilitate a, a support group in New Jersey. Uh, I live in New York City, but I'm close to New Jersey. I, my family is in New Jersey, you know, adopted and um, biological. And I'm always there. And um, from the beginning, I, I went to this support group. And now, you know, almost 10 years later, I'm, I'm co-facilitating it with another person. And I got so much out of it. And it was so helpful to me in the beginning that I feel it's like my responsibility to pay it forward. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel that way, just, too. Just to share. Yeah, to share my experiences and or I don't know, just to show that I, 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 I'm hearing them and understanding them. Mm. It's just, it's just really important because like I said, it's, it's hard to talk about these things with people that, you know, aren't directly affected by it. it it's just really hard to, to speak the same language and, and, you know, have a deep conversation right. uh, unless you're involved in it. And that's what these support groups allow. And it's, it's just such a nice supportive community you know i'll see you on different zoom meetings and there are people from across the country right. and um and the the conventions which you know aren't happening i mean obviously due to covid but the big one that we used to go to 
it's I don't know, it's not as big as it used to be or it's not happening as often. And like smaller ones have splintered, you know, have a, have started. And I think that we've been, you know, to those in Indiana. Yeah, it's just it's I, it, I just it's hard for me to describe how valuable and important it is for for us to get together and just share our experiences and our stories and, you know, get support from each other. Yes, I'm glad you shared that because people are coming to the adoption community left and right, like brand new. And like you, I feel that it was an extraordinary experience for me in the beginning and that it it is important for me to give back for those that are just learning the things that we've had an opportunity to learn through the years just being connected so mm-hmm. yeah exactly the yeah. stories are the 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 themes and in, in the experiences are similar i mean every story is different everyone's journey is different but there is you know certain uh wisdom in like shared or not shared in lived experience right. you know like none of us in the group like we make it very clear that we try not to give suggestions or advice or tell people like what to do because we're for the most part, we're not trained social workers or psychologists or psychiatrists. So we don't, you know, claim to have all of the answers, but we do have a lived experience and that we can definitely share. So whenever someone comes into the meeting new, that's always, you know, the most important person at the meeting that we try to give them the most time as possible, you know, as long as they're comfortable sharing whatever they're going through. And then, you know, we, if they're open to it, like we comment on similar experiences that we've had and how we've dealt with it and worked through it and how it, how it's, um, uh been resolved or not resolved or you know just just like how we've dealt with a similar situation and that's very helpful and the meetings are you know they're they're not easy sometimes the next day or even like after the meeting i'm really exhausted Mm -hmm. and um (laughs) for sure but it's it's worth it it's to me um it's emotional work it is mm-hmm. emotional work, even being in in community for years. It's still emotional work to share and to really be present for other adoptees. Yeah. yeah. And that's exactly what this was last night. You know, it was almost like a mini meeting. You know, we all, we all enjoy each other's company. And I mean, the support group is not just for friends. It's for everyone, you know, like, but, but. Of course, you develop uh, friendships and relationships with these with some of the people. So, you know, a few of us went out to dinner last night and one of them was, you know, going through something uh, with her birth, with her son and um, who she relinquished. And, you know, we were all there to, you know, talk about it. So it was almost like a, a support group meeting, but it was among friends and we also had dinner and we all laughed and shared, mm-hmm. you know, what was going on in our lives. But it was also like a support meeting. And she was just feeling really raw and and right. sad. Right. Yeah. And needed to talk about it with people who could 
completely relate to what she was going through. Yes. Yeah. The community can definitely be a very healing place no matter how long you've been a part of it because it's still, I think it's a lifelong journey of healing for me. And even Mm -hmm. doing this podcast and talking with you and other adoptees, I still feel the healing going on. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, so that's... Yeah, there's always something to learn, isn't there? It is. It really is. And I know when I reached out to you and, and asked you to be a part of this and you said yes I just felt healing right then I was like that so you know what I mean like it's it's like the support that I've received I just I can hardly put it into words but I know it means a lot I know I mean we we met it was so many years ago (laughs) and like I remember there was like this instant bond and unfortunately we haven't you know been in touch as much and that's what is so great about those those meetings, like um, or conventions, like in between, you know, running to different seminars. Which the seminars are great, but sometimes you don't have enough time in between. You're just, you know, you get into this really great conversation, and you have to like run to the next seminar. Right. <laughs> but right. Um, but just being around people, and there's so much work and healing that's done, you know, outside of you know, the information sessions, which are also important, but right. just the community. Yeah. I mean, I, I could just feel the love and, you know, warmth from you, you know, through the phone, you know, yeah. we might not have talked as much, but you know, we have this bond. Yeah. And just I pick just, right up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and like you said, it's a, it's a lifelong process. I, I, I've heard some, I heard an amazing, like a Zoom meeting. I think you might have been there with the. I mean, I don't want to tell his story, but the the boy who, um, well, he's not a boy anymore. Nathan. He's, he's an Nathan. Adult, Nathan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. I know that. Did was... you read his book? Not I yet. Read his book and... You read his book. Unfortunately, I I took it on vacation with me, so I'm sitting on the beach reading this heavy book, mm. and I just I, I had to like put it down several times. I could not believe, you know, what he was writing. But then to he, see him and hear him and the growth there and yeah. how he tur- turned everything into a positive was yes, I'm I was, yeah that was, was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it chokes me up even thinking about it. I mm-hmm. just have so much respect for him, and like, you know, those kind of things. It just, I think, makes me like better as a person, or you know, I, I can grow so much from hearing, you know, how he's gone through something that, like, fortunately for me, I have not had to experience that. But if he can get through something like that, mm-hmm. I can get through. Mm-hmm what I'm going through. And and what's also interesting about his story is that he, it's, it's like he knew what was going to be a part of his healing, like what direction to go to, I guess, participate in his own healing. Because... Uh, well, yeah, but he, he did, sorry to cut you off, but yeah. he, he, he even said that he didn't talk about it for, a, for years after that, but once he did start talking about it, you're right. Then he knew yes. that then the words just, he couldn't stop talking. And then he knew that that, that was his, that was the his way. Yeah. 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 
Oh yeah, I um I think I watched it twice. And that's what I really like about the happy hour and the um presentations that are done through the NAAP is they record it and you can go back and watch and and you don't you don't get you don't miss anything if you can't make it that particular day. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. And is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share? Oh, I mean, you know, we could talk forever. There's so many different topics, yeah. you know, loyalty. And yeah, I mean, um, no, I mean, it was a great, it was great talking to you. And um, thank you for, I mean, I'm honored to that you even asked to you know, have this conversation with me. Oh, for so sure. I hope, I hope I said something that was, you know, helpful or interesting. Yes, this was <laughs> great, Dave. And I'm just so glad you created the time for us to have a conversation. Oh, thank you. Dave and I just seemed to pick up where we left off since chatting the last time years ago. From meeting him and his birth mother in 2011 to this day, I feel so connected to them. Watching them together encouraged me before my reunion to keep going. You never know, by showing up in the adoption community, how much you will inspire others. I like how Dave is hosting adoption support groups in New Jersey, his place of birth, and choosing opportunities to meet with members of the community on an ongoing basis. He knows the importance of being there for each other in small and big ways. One of the most important things Dave mentioned to me during our time together is the treatment of a newcomer to the community. I believe that those of us who have been connected to other adoptees for years can and do remember when we were newbies with learning the language, concepts, issues, laws, etc. surrounding the subject of adoption. Our attention and sensitivity to adoptees joining the community for the first time is most helpful in creating a potentially safe space for everyone. Thank you, Dave, for having a conversation with me for the purpose of at least one other adoptee, birth, or adoptive parent, knowing the significance of healing those parts of ourselves caused by adoption. We can share our stories of relinquishment, separation, search, and reunion that change wounds into scars. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and or give a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I hope you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it. Because word of mouth is the best way for me to grow the show. Remember to share this podcast on social media to spread the word. Hashtag Adoptee Land. Thank you for being here.